You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are glad that you're here. So let's start at the Cheesecake Factory five years ago because that's where all good stories begin. Uh, so this is, once again, about five years ago, my family had lunch there. We get home, and then my son, uh, who was six years old at the time, gets very upset. And I say, what's wrong? And he says, Dad, I left my Lego Stormtroopers at the Cheesecake Factory. So we get back in the car. We go over to the restaurant, and we go back, talk to the manager. There's nothing in the loss and found. We go to the table. There's people sitting at the table. I get under the table, which, by the way, was slightly awkward, and trying to find them. We can't find them. Then I realized they're like these little Lego sets that um, I could. So I'm like, you know what? I just went to Target and for $9 replaced them. And uh, so the financial damage was minimal, and I got like some heroic dad status uh, from that. So um, that following week, we went out of town. We went to uh, Disney World. And we went to, I know it's called Disney Springs, but as you know, before it was called Downtown Disney. So we go to Downtown Disney. And after dinner, we walk into the, uh, you know, they have that Marvel superhero store. We go into that Marvel superhero store, and my son gets very upset. I'm like, what's wrong? He says, Dad, I left the iPad that you gave me at the restaurant. And I had had this first-generation iPad that I gave him, and he left it at the restaurant. And then, so I, I say, okay, don't worry. So my wife goes to, uh, back to the restaurant and... Uh, it's sitting there. So we get it. And of course, as you know, that uh, as a parent, that triggers a certain, uh, you know, you've got to be a responsible member of society speech. And you, know, and you know it. You know that there's like moments where you're like, oh, do I really have to? Yes, I have to give the you got to be a responsible member of society speech. Uh, I said, you got to be responsible. You can't take things out of the house. So um, that next day, we are going to Hollywood Studios. And so I take my oldest two to Hollywood Studios uh, early because they're going to go to the Jedi Academy to fight Darth Vader. Uh, This is a popular attraction, so you've got to get there like an hour before the park opens to get in line. So, we, of of course, we only took our uh, minivan, and so uh, Xander and Mia and I took a cab uh, to the park so that uh, then my wife, Carrie, and Livy, my youngest daughter, they were getting ready. They were going to meet us at the park later. So we're standing in line, uh, and my son, he gets so upset, he starts to cry, and I'm like, what's wrong? And he says, Dad, I left Teddy in the car. Now, let me say who Teddy is. Teddy is a teddy bear that Xander had won um, when we had gone there uh, around his fifth birthday. So it was a year before, and so he had, he had won it at Disney World the year before, and Teddy had become my son's closest comrade and friend. And so, anyway... Uh, and I said, why did you bring him? He goes, I brought him. I thought he might want to see me fight Darth Vader. And, but I got so excited when we got here, and then I left him in the car. Well, I call my wife. My wife calls down to the valet at the hotel. The valet girl pulls the security footage, and I'm not even making this up. This is like turning into a CSI episode. She pulls the security footage and sees me and my, two of my kids getting into a cab. She pulls the number off the cab, calls the cab company, says this is the cab number. They patch her in to the cell phone 
of the cab driver who's on his way now to Orlando International Airport, taking somebody there, and says, hey, there's a guy named Teddy in your car. Well, it turns out it's not a guy named Teddy. It's a teddy bear named Teddy. Guy gets out of the car. Guy says, I'll check it out. Turns out Teddy is in the cab. The cab driver drives Teddy all the way back to the hotel and then drops it off with this valet person and then she sends my wife this text. That's Teddy and that is the arm of the valet person. Now, and so civilization as we know it has been saved at this point, but the story doesn't end there because then we're going home and as things go in my life, uh, throughout the course of the week, now my wife and the valet person, this girl, the valet girl, had become now the best of friends because everyone who meets my wife loves her. Same thing happened to me. That's uh, so why I married her. But, they, you know, everybody loves my wife, and so now they're talking about everything about her life, and she's going to go to real estate school and whatever. I don't even remember the girl's name. My wife knows everything about her life. And so, anyway, so we're packing up, saying our goodbyes, and we're headed home. And now... I, this is a thing that dads understand. If you're a mom, I don't know if you understand this, but dads have this thing. Dads have a certain, they have a best time. You guys know, understand what I'm talking about. You have a best time. This is how long it takes us to get home from Orlando. But there was this one time we got home in three hours and 10 minutes. So that is now the time to beat. And so now I'm thinking, we're going to get in the car, we're going to go, can I get home in 3.05? Can I get home in three hours? Can I get home in two hours and 58 minutes? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. So now we're, we're, uh, we're getting there. So I'm like, I'm giving the speech, the dad speech. Do you have everything? Make sure you got all your stuff because we're not stopping. We're not turning around. If you leave it, it's over. Do you understand? And so we're, I mean, I'm really laying this on thick. No, dad, we got everything. I'm like, all right, because when we're going... We're gone, and we're not coming back. All right, 30 minutes into our trip. Remember the valet girl that was best friends with my wife now? She sends my wife this text. Those are my keys. And you can tell they're my keys because of the Lego Darth Vader on them. And... Um, which I still have. And by the way, he's in rough shape compared to, he he's all shiny and new there. And so anyway, those are my keys. And I just, I, and so my wife tells me, she says, uh, you left your keys. This is what the girl sent us. And so, and I'm like, how is the car running? And she's like, because of my keys. And, and I'm like, so now I'm like, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep this quiet because I have a reputation to uphold as a benevolent dictator with our children. So anyway, between, you know, because my, my car is what, like five square feet, um, people start hearing news of uh, what's gone on. So we stop at a rest stop because, as you know, it's impossible to just drive home when you have three kids. You've got to stop 80 times because they can't get their bladders in coordination. So... Um, we get out of the car to go to the bathroom, and my son, he puts his arm around me. He says, hey, um, heard something. Heard you left your keys at the hotel. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he says, and he says Dad, don't worry about it. Happens to all of us. And I, I didn't know whether to be grateful or mad. Uh, 
<laughs> now, and I'll tell you this though, once it happened to me, it, it just, my attitude towards what had happened with my son completely changed because that's just how it works, right? That's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is someone who feels bad for you. Empathy is someone who feels bad with you. And when you're going through a tough time, listen, you don't want people to feel bad for you. You want people to feel bad with you. You want to talk to someone who is on the other side of what you're dealing with that says, I know what it feels like and it's going to get better. And the good news, the great news is this is God's heart towards us. He's not standing afar off saying, hey, I heard you're going through a tough time. Let me know how that goes. Instead, he's, he's involved with his creation and he's involved with the people whom he loves. Now, once again, I tell you this because a few weeks ago, we started this series through the book of Hebrews that we're calling Better Jesus Over Everything. And the, the reason we're studying Hebrews is because it's probably the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. It was written to a group of Hebrew Christians who were living in Rome, going through a very difficult season. And they were asking this question, a question that we ask, and that is, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And the answer to that question is a very eloquent and theologically rich letter that serves as an encouragement to them and to us to do the one thing that will help when you're going through a season of difficulty, and that is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when you're struggling, if we're being honest, we're kind of looking at other options that we might have and to try to find relief somewhere else. And for them, and once again, it may not be the same for us, but for them, they were thinking about maybe going back to their old ways. And they were, they were formerly Jewish. Maybe we just go back to that. Maybe that makes life um, a little bit better for us. And so what the writer does is that he, he starts from the very beginning talking about how Jesus is better, better than the prophets of old. Je Jesus is better than the angels who were revered in Jewish culture. He says that Jesus is better than even Moses. Uh, he says that Jesus is greater, if you were with us last time, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. He's the very fulfillment of the Sabbath. And now the writer is going to climb Everest and tell us that Jesus is greater even than the high priest, the Jewish high priest. And this is just huge in Judaism because the high priest in, in Israel served two functions. He was the representative of the people to God, but also the representative of God to the Jewish people. And that meant that these people who were suffering, that God was not separated from their pain. He's not separated from our pain. He's with us in the midst of our pain. And if you're going through a difficult season right now, and by the way, who isn't? Then take comfort knowing this, that he's with you, that he stands with you, that he's working it out for us. And he's not saying, hey, I hope that works out. He's standing next to us saying, we're going to get through this together. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 14, and here's what we read. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So three things I want to tell you that this section that we're going to look at tells us about Jesus. But here's the first one, and that is that we have a Savior who is available to help. Now, there's so much in these three verses, but the contrast that the writer is making is that Jesus isn't just like any other high priest. He's a high priest that can sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted like we are. 
Now, that doesn't mean that he was tempted with the same things that we're tempted with, but that he experienced temptation in his life and didn't give in. Now, none of us experience the same temptation, but we, temptations, but we all experience temptation. And we can sympathize with one another and empathize with one another when we're struggling because all of us face something different. So I went to the movies a couple of weeks ago. I went to the movie theater and you're like, why did you go to the movie? I'm like, because I'm going to live my life. That's why. Um, and so, and, and I went to the movies and I'm still here to tell the tale. So that's the point. So no, but I went to the movies because they were showing this 40th anniversary of the Empire Strikes Back. And if Darth Vader is in my town, I'm going to be there. So um, I go to the movies and I'm trying to eat a little healthier. And so I had some popcorn, a bottle of water, and that was about it. And then, um, you know, with some people and they're like, ooh, you know, do you want, and they were buying some stuff and they had, one person bought raisinets and they're trying to tempt me with raisinets. And I'm like, like, ooh, aren't they delicious? I'm like, no, raisinets are gross <laughs> because raisins are gross and all these are spruced up raisins. And it's like, oh, I love raisins. Look, you want to eat old grapes? That's your own business. <laughs> but don't cover it in chocolate and try to push it off on me. And so, because it's not a temptation. Now, you put a bag of Reese's Pieces in front of me, the most underrated chocolate candy, barely talking about a lot of peanut butter. Someday I'm going to do a whole sermon on Reese's Pieces. Anyway, I'm going to do that. I see that. God bless you in the back. And so... Anyway, I'm going to do a whole thing on that. But once again, the point is, is that not every temptation is the same. But Jesus understands temptation because he was tempted as well. And that shared experience creates compassion and the opportunity to come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in the time of our need. You see, one of the things that you'll find when you read the Gospels, and, and, and if you haven't done this, I would encourage you to do this. Read one of the Gospels and just look for Jesus' emotional responses. Like, what, what are the, how does the author describe what Jesus is feeling? And it's so fascinating that one of the most common feelings that Jesus, that's expressed about Jesus is compassion. In fact, more than a dozen times throughout the gospel, it just says that Jesus was moved with compassion. In fact, you'll see it here in, in Matthew chapter 9. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. This is what may, one of the things that makes Christianity so unique, that God invites us to draw near to him and that he's moved with compassion for us. Now, let me say this, and I think this is an important thing to say uh, in the era in which we live, is that we are living in a, in a time where there is a lot of spiritual confusion. There is, uh, and, and one of the most common things that people say about faith, right? They'll say, you know, all religions are the same. And the common misnomer, is that all religions have superficial differences and great commonality, when actually the opposite is true. Most faiths have superficial commonality, but have great differences. So just to take a couple, um, Christianity and Islam, which are the world's uh, largest faiths, uh, are, there, are there differences simply in God's name, Yahweh versus Allah? According to Pope Francis, he'll tell you that uh, Muslims and Christians worship the same God, I disagree, as should you. And now, but let's talk about what, what we know. Both Muslims and Christians agree that there is one God, but who that God is, is very different in how he is understood and worshiped by both faiths. According to Islam, Allah is unknowable and is separate from his creation. 
They're totally separated from his creation. According to Islam, Allah has no son, only messengers who speak for him. According to Islam, Allah has rules you follow in hopes of the possibility of being able to spend eternity with him, but there are no guarantees. Yahweh, the God of Christianity, invites us to know him invites us to follow him. He entered the world through the person of Jesus, the Son of God, who took our sin upon himself. Christianity teaches us, what we learn is that Jesus is God, and Islam doesn't believe that. The beauty of this, why I tell you all of this, is that Christianity teaches us, the person of Jesus teaches us that there is a God who wants to get involved in your life, not just in the joyous moments, but even in our darkest times. That's why there's this invitation to draw near to draw near, listen, and it's not just when things are going well, when things are all working out how we plan, but um, even when we haven't made good choices, even when we haven't obeyed, it's an open invitation to come to him in time of need. Now, how do I know that? Because the writer says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in time of need. Have you noticed, notice it's not a throne of power. It's not a throne of justice. It's not even a throne of righteousness. It's a throne. What is the descriptor of this throne of God? It's that it's grace. It's gracious. Now, and I know that we use the word grace, but let's explain it. Uh, When we talk about grace, the, the, the definition of grace is unmerited favor. That's what grace means. It's getting something you don't deserve. If you've ever been stopped by a cop for speeding and he didn't give you a ticket, that's mercy. Now, um, Grace picks up where mercy leaves off and adds a blessing to it. So let me tell you this story that uh, a friend of mine has told me many times, and he knows uh, because he knows the level of jealousy that I have towards him because of it. So a friend of mine used to be on the board of directors of a college, and uh, they would bring in speakers every year. And one year they brought in Mark Hamill as one of the speakers. Now, if you don't know who Mark Hamill is, two things. One, we can't be friends. Um, and two, this is who Mark Hamill is, all right? So, oh, all right, see, but we still can't be friends. Um, all right, but <laughs> so here's the point. So they're bringing Mark Hamill in as a speaker, and my friend gets to pick up Mark Hamill from the airport, and he's standing at the airport with one of those signs, which I've always wanted to hold one of the signs. I've never wanted to be the guy that had a sign for him. I've just always thought, you know, that... Um, which I have a great story about that. I'll tell you some other time about a friend of mine. Anyway, my friend Jason Lee. Anyway, another time. Too many things. All right. So he picks up Mark Hamill at the airport, but Mark's plane gets in late. So now they're running late to this, uh, this assembly that they're having at the school. So he starts gunning it uh, on the highway to get, uh, to get to the school on time. Well, a cop catches him speeding and pulls him over. So now he's so embarrassed, and which, by the way, I mean, just driving, wouldn't that just be the greatest thing with Mark Hamill? It'd be like, hey, could we just run through some lines? Like, I'll play your father, and you play, you know. I just think, anyway, I, I, I may have thought about it a little bit. And uh, so the cop pulls him over, and the cop, he rolls down his window, and the cop says, license and registration. Mark Hamill leans over and says, you don't need to see his identification. <laughs> Could be the coolest moment of this guy's life. And, uh, and the cop starts freaking out. He's like, dude, you're Luke Skywalker. And he says, Mark Hamill says, hey, man, can you help us out? We're trying to get to the college and we're running late. 
And uh, can you not give my friend a ticket? And he says, not give you a ticket. I'm giving you a police escort to the college. Lights were on. And it was, I mean, it it was like a foreign dignitary had showed up. And uh, so listen, not getting a ticket. Mercy. Police escort. That's great. Uh, That's grace. And it was great too. And, but listen, here's my point. This is the kind of access we have to God. It's a throne of grace that sometimes we want to shy away when we haven't done right. And man, I messed up. I wanted to do better, but I messed up. And it's not like, man, I can't come near. No, no, no. It's a throne of grace that we're getting what we don't deserve. Why? So that we can find help in times of need and access him when we need him most. Well, he goes on because he wants to expound on this idea that we have a great high priest. He says this in verse one. He says, for every high priest is taken from among men and is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man can take this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was him, uh, he of who it is said of him, you are my son, today I have begotten you, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you is not just that we have a Savior who is available to help, we have a Savior who is eager to help. Now, here's what I know, is that when I said that he is a high priest, that did not register any kind of emotional reaction from you. Because this idea of a priest or a high priest just isn't really part of our nomenclature. And, and maybe the word priest um, doesn't really have a very positive idea in your mind. It's not a positive connotation that you have. And maybe you've heard about scandals and whatever in the past, and that has a negative connotation. But I want you to understand what the idea of a priest in a Jewish culture meant. Now, the priests were the teachers of Israel. The priests were the worship leaders in Israel. The priests were the social workers feeding people in Israel. The priests were the counselors helping families settle disputes uh, in Israel. They were Priests were the nurse practitioners who were checking in on the sick and assisting them. The priests were offering sacrifices to make people right in God's sight and were teaching the people to help them live in a way that honored God. This was an awesome responsibility and they were revered in Jewish culture. Now, the high priest is is the one that's picked among all the others. I mean, this guy was revered more than anyone else in that culture. I mean, he worked hand in hand with the king of Israel to lead the nation. When a king had questions about what to do, the person he went to was the high priest to inquire of God. There is no greater position in Israel than the high priest. And here's what the the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's better. He's greater than the high priest because he understands And he doesn't just empathize, or doesn't just sympathize, he empathizes with us. Now, let me explain it this way, the difference. When uh, my daughter Mia was in the first grade, so she's about six, Xander's about three, Livy was a baby, uh, she got, Mia got invited to a party with a friend of hers from school. And so uh, I'm guessing if you have kids, you've, you've experienced that 
what I like to call purgatory, of going to some random person's house that you don't know and spending four hours because apparently your kids sit next to each other in class. And uh, so anyway, I, I don't believe in purgatory, but this almost qualifies. And so anyway, and to make matters worse at this party, both Mia and Xander won a goldfish. Now, they were so excited. I was not happy about it because of our no pets policy at our house. Now, you can feel free to not tell me what your feelings are about the fact that I don't have pets. I had someone come up to me once and say, I can't go to a church where the pastor does not love pets. And I said, that might be the stupidest reason I've ever heard <laughs> to not go to a church. And um, interestingly enough, I never saw her again. And, um, but that's okay. We only like smart people here. And um, so anyway... Look around. These are all smart people. They are. Um, so <laughs> I speak in jest for the most part. And uh, so anyway, now the reason why we're just not like good pet people, all right? It's just how it is. I also can't, we also can't keep a plant alive in our house, all right? But our kids are doing fairly well. So anyway, that's working. So now... I, I didn't, and the reason why we're not, especially goldfish, you know, goldfish are notorious for having a very short lifespan. And I don't want to have a conversation with my newborn three-year-old or six-year-old about why God let my goldfish die and all that. I didn't want to do that. Well, sure enough, two days into this, Xander's goldfish dies, and he is devastated. And he had named it, and, and he, there was a lot of crying. And thankfully, I'm a pastor. I was able to officiate the funeral. And uh, we did a burial at sea, which is flushing it down the toilet. And um, afterwards, I hear Mia comforting her brother. And I'm like, look at her, following in her dad's footsteps, trying to give comfort to people. And so she started off very loving and hugging him. And she's like, it's okay, Xander. Your fish went to fish heaven. I'm not really sure about the theology of that, but we're going to let that one slide. And... Uh, but he just wouldn't, he, he was very upset, you know? I mean, he's just, this is a big thing. And, uh, and then she turned on him. She's like, Xander, stop being such a baby and stop crying. You can hashtag that savage life. And, um, and so the next day, Mia's fish died. And Mia is devastated and she's crying and still have my suit there, put it back on to officiate that funeral. Another burial at sea. And, uh, and then after the second funeral, I see something totally different. I see Xander crying, and I see Mia crying, and I see her hug her brother. And she says to him, it's okay, Xander. We're going to get through this together. Listen, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying about Jesus. He's saying that he doesn't sympathize and look at a distance. He has compassion. Even when we're, did you notice what he said? When we're ignorant or going astray. Ignorant means we have no information. Going astray literally in the Greek language means when we have the wrong information. You see, this, this compassion is to deal gently with, right? It's also translated that. Now listen, um, it, it really is amazing because you can have the right information, but if you don't have compassion, it doesn't come off like that. And that's one of the things that I learned early on, like when I, as, as, a, as a young pastor doing uh, marriage counseling. I don't do any marriage counseling anymore at Calvary. Um, we offer marriage counseling. Other pastors do it. The reason I don't do it is because I have a 100% um, average 
that every person I've ever done marriage counseling with in this church has left. 20 years, I'm, at, I'm, I'm operating at a 100, batting a 1,000, or batting at zero, depending on how you view this. And uh, so anytime someone says, Pastor Bob, you know, can you get, uh, counsel us as a couple? What I hear is, Pastor Bob, we're looking for a reason to have Calvary. We're hoping you could furnish us with an excuse. So that anyway, so, and the reason is, and I look back and it's like, because I, I just, and once again, I'm, uh, you know, when like you do those personality tests, I'm way more of a thinker than I am a feeler. Like a lot of times I don't even know what I'm feeling. I ask my wife what I'm feeling. And if, if you, anytime you see me, you can ask me this. When I have my, I don't have my phone on me, but I keep a, a web page open of this like wheel of emotions. Because when I'm like, man, what am I feeling? I just kind of go through this chart and like, oh, that, never felt that before. So anyway, it's like, it's what you show like kids who are in the second grade. Uh, so anyway, so that's what I use. So, so anyway, so my emotional level, that's kind of where I'm at. So if you have a third grader in your house, we're right around the same place. So. Anyway, so because what would happen is, is that people would start talking to me 10 minutes in. I've already figured out what the problem is. And I'm not saying I was wrong. I wasn't. The problem is there's a way you got to communicate. And so because I would listen, I'm like, oh, you see that thing that you're doing? You got to stop doing that. Then everything's going to be fine. And then, but see, that's not how it works. Now, let me tell you another thing. I, I sit down with a guy and he's like struggling with anger. And uh, I have like all the compassion in the world for him because I know where he's lived. I, I've, I've walked through that, and I know the pain that he's in, even if he doesn't realize it. I know the isolation that he's in, if he doesn't realize it. I realize, and he doesn't, definitely doesn't know this, that the anger is just a defense mechanism, because he's so scared of getting hurt. And mostly, a lot of times, because he's a guy, uh, anger is the only uh, emotion that's been socially acceptable for him to tap into. And so, once again, when there's compassion, when there isn't compassion, it's just sympathy. It's like, hey, stop doing that thing. When there's compassion, it's an arm around the shoulder saying, it's okay, we're going to get through this together. And the cool thing is this, listen, Jesus is willing to walk with us through whatever it is, however we're being tempted or tested. And he's, he's not saying, hey, let me know when you get on the other side of that. He's like, no, no, no. We're going to get through this, and we're going to get through it together. Now, if you're a bit biblically astute, and I know many of you are, you might be thinking to yourself, but hold on. Jesus, if I remember, is from the tribe of Judah, right? He's a descendant of King David. And if he's a descendant of King David, he's part of the kingly line. The descendants of Levi were the priestly line. So how is Jesus, who's supposed, who is the king of Israel, supposed to be a priest? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because that's what we're going to. See how we did that? That's, how, that's what we're going to answer next. Look at verse 6. He says, he also says in another place, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And if you pause there and give me your attention, we have a high priest who's not just eager to help and available to help. Number three, we have a, a savior who is equipped to help. Now, so how is it if 
priests are from the tribe of Levi, and kings are from the tribe of Judah, and Judah, Judah's from the tribe, uh, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, how does he become a priest? And the writer says, well, he's not part of the Levitical line of priests. He's part of a different line altogether that goes back even further than the, the Levitical line of priests. It's called the Order of Melchizedek. Now, a lot of this I have to punt until we get to chapter 7, because all of the exposition of this is in chapter 7, and if you are someone who says, like, hey, I want, like, really deep cuts from the Bible, I don't know if there's anything, there's an even deeper cut than this. I mean, Melchizedek is only mentioned three times in the Bible. His story is found in Genesis 14. Then kind of out of nowhere, he appears in Psalm 110, and that's what's quoted here in Hebrews chapter 5. And the writer brings it up simply to show the validity of Jesus' priesthood and make the point that he can be a priest because he understands suffering. And here's the difference. Most priests, or all priests we could say, offer sacrifices for sins. But Jesus is the only priest who offered a sacrifice of himself. He himself was the sacrifice for sin. And that's why he's able to say, we'll get through this together. Verse 7 describes that the tears and prayers that to be delivered from death, that's the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that this cup would pass from him. But it didn't. And he went to the cross, and out of the horror of that moment, something beautiful emerged. Because, my friends, sometimes we go through this difficulty and we, we think that it's like, I'm going through this difficulty and then everything's going to get great. Sometimes you're going through a difficulty and it's like, man, this feels like crucifixion. Well, you know what happens after crucifixion comes death and after death is burial and then resurrection. And sometimes we're in this moment where it's like, man, it feels like death. Well, there's death and then there's burial. But if you'll hang in there, there's, res there's resurrection that comes. And, and the point is this. Sometimes... We think that if things aren't going well, that God isn't with us. Do you know that that was never understood? That was never a belief in the early church, the first Christians, the people that walked with Jesus. They never thought, man, things are difficult. God must not be with me. They, they said crazy things like this, that they praised God, that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And the reason is, is because the best man that they had ever known, Jesus, they watched him get crucified. And if they're like, if he did nothing wrong and he got crucified, why would we never think that no difficulty would ever come into our lives? Here's the other thing that they understood is that sometimes when things are at their worst and at their lowest is when we experience God in an even deeper way. The Apostle Paul, in jail for not even committing a crime, writes a letter to a church in Philippi, which is an area there in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he writes them this letter um, all on the subject of joy. And in Philippians 3, he says this. He says, I want, to, I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection and participation or fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The thing that Paul is saying, I'm willing to give up anything and everything if it means really knowing God. And there are some things that you will really only know God by experiencing the power of his resurrection. And you know what I'm talking about. There have been moments, victories in your life, high points in your life where you're like, man, I really felt like God was working and everything came together as I had been praying for. And those are the power of his resurrection moments. But then there are these other points in life 
where you experience God by experiencing the fellowship of his suffering. That is in the moment of difficulty and hurt, there's something that happens in you when you trust God and there's nothing else to trust in. That it changes you and matures you. That there are moments in your life, just like there have been in my life, that have been so painful. And yet, if you were like, hey, do you want to erase those? You're like, you couldn't. Because you'd be lost without those moments. Because what happened in those moments, what you learned and experienced in those moments, have transformed who you are. Because in those moments, he stood with you and put his arm around you and said, we're going to get through this together. Because it was in the fellowship of his suffering that an unshakable faith was born. And when we decided to trust God, not just when things were going well, when we decided to trust God anyway, even when things weren't going well, that we said he's working even if I can't see that he's working. That if everything falls apart, I'm still going to trust in him. That we've experienced this amazing thing of him with his shoulder, with his arm around us, encouraging us, empathizing with us, and speaking to us, saying, we're gonna get through this, and we're gonna get through this together. Let's pray together. And Lord, we wanna thank you for that very promise that we can not just endure difficulties, but we can be transformed by them for the good, that all things really are working together for good to those who love you and have been called by you. So do that work, Lord. Encourage us, for those of us that are experiencing tough times right now, that you might whisper in our ear, we'll get through this together. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.